Your purposes are good. Lord, as we are here this morning, um, may you be doing a good work in us. Give us clarity on your word and the way that it exposes things in our hearts, um, how it relates to things in our lives. And Father, be doing a good work in us. Give us the strength to respond in a way that pleases you as we consider your word. And uh, we thank you for your care for us and we thank you for the provision of your spirit who works personally and specifically to realise your purposes in our life. And uh, we pray this for your sake. Amen. Well, life is full of opportunities. Uh, Many people obviously have used the school holidays as an opportunity to get away. Uh, For you, there might be some opportunities on your horizon uh, to take up a new role, uh, to accept a job that you've been offered. Uh, There might be an opportunity to try out for for a new sports team. There might be an opportunity to fill up some extra time with a new hobby, maybe learn a new language. Whilst we live in a world where there's an increasing range of opportunities available, we know that we ourselves are finite. Our bank account tells us that resources are limited and we just know that there's only 24 hours in the day. And so despite living in this world of many, many opportunities, uh, we realise that opportunities need to be chosen. And um, as we think about the opportunities that might be present to us in our life, uh, we realise that our, our life can really be shaped by the opportunities that we decide to take. Whether it's a new do- job or moving house or, or taking up a new hobby, uh, the very experience of our life is dictated by those opportunities that we say yes to. But there can actually be something quite addictive about always saying yes to opportunities that are on your horizon. (laughs) To always say yes to the opportunities that are around means that you never sort of fully realise a situation that you're currently in. To always be chopping and changing, trying something new, means that you're only going to experience something that you've chosen to varying degrees. Think about taking the opportunity to learn a different language, But then you realise, no, 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 I don't want to learn German, I want to learn Japanese. And so the opportunity that you had to learn German just sort of reaches a barrier as you then switch to the latest and greatest things. As we're in this world full of opportunities, perhaps one of the things that becomes most obvious to us are the opportunities that we miss. And it's easy to miss opportunities that are around to us. It's actually a necessity of life that there are things that we say no to. But what we actually see is that over time, we can just sort of get embedded in just doing the same old, same old. There are particular decisions that we make that sort of bring us in on a particular trajectory that means that some opportunities are closed off for good. The career that we end up choosing, the job that we might have taken, the decision to take on a large mortgage, it means that the range of opportunities starts to shrink. And often it's only when we become dissatisfied with our norm that we are more open to opportunities that are presented to us. And now as we think about the opportunities that are around to us, we realise that not all opportunities are good. Some opportunities that are available to us are quite destructive. And so as we gather together as God's people, 
We're wanting God's word to be shaping so that when opportunities are presented to us, we know which ones are worth taking. We know which ones are worth making a sacrifice for. And it helps us to actually deal with the missed opportunities that we experience in life. As we continue our series, listening to the words of Jesus, today we're going to hear explicitly a clear opportunity that Jesus presents for all of humanity. It's the greatest opportunity that humanity could know to enter his kingdom. And so we see in the passage breakup that there's this interactions that Jesus has with some in the crowd as they try and make sense of some people around them who have recently perished. Jesus then, in verses 6 to 9, outlays this parable uh, about a fig tree. Then we see this woman uh, approach Jesus in the midst of the synagogue and Jesus heal her and the response from the synagogue rulers. And then finally, in verses 18 to 21, we hear Jesus give a picture of the nature of his kingdom that he is providing an opportunity for all people to enter. So if Jesus is on about taking this opportunity to enter this kingdom that he's established, what we see emphasised throughout this passage is that it is a limited opportunity. In the verse 5 verses, as uh, Jesus is approached uh, from some people around trying to interpret some of the local events that have occurred, we hear about two tragedies. And really the point is, Jesus, what do these two tragedies mean? The first tragedy seems to be some shocking and hideous act by the then governor. Apparently some people in the midst of them going to a religious altar to offer a sacrifice have been executed by Pilate. And so there's sort of this image that as they're bringing blood sacrifices as a religious offering, so to them in the midst of being killed, their blood then mixes with the blood of the sacrifice. It's a really shocking act. And so the question is, Jesus, what do you make of it? The second incident was when this large reservoir in the southeast corner of Jerusalem, Salom, it collapsed, killing 18 people. And so again, the question is, in light of this tragedy, in light of these people perishing, Jesus, what do you make of it? And what seems to be under the surface of both questions is this common assumption, this idea that disaster equals punishment from God. The people don't seem to see these attacks or these accidents as random. There's sort of this assumed belief behind these questions that God has brought a consequence through these means against the actions of those who died. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually think that's quite far from our mindset. When natural disaster hits our modern world or random accidents occur, most of us just sort of think, well, that's unfortunate. When someone dies because of a shocking and hideous violent act, when people experience death because of an unexpected event, we generally just sort of think, well, they were unlucky, weren't they? You see, I think our tendency might be a little bit towards asking Jesus, how could God allow such senseless and severe acts to occur? But I think probably a more relatable question for us to try and get in the the minds of those who are asking Jesus that day are not these sort of natural 
or global events, but more personal situations. And perhaps we can actually resonate a little bit more with the question of when we lose our job, or, or business is dropping off, or when a relationship breaks up, or someone that we love dies, then we probably might start to ask ourselves, hang on, am I being punished here? Is there something that I've done that's meaning that God is allowing this hardship to be my experience? Am I being punished for something that I've done? Now, I wonder whether this tendency to assess God's attitudes of us based on our circumstances is at the heart of these questions that we see in verses 1 to 5. Are sufferings a sign that God is displeased with someone? And then conversely, are my blessings a validation that God's happy with me? Well, Jesus' response in verse 3 is emphatic. He says, no. Shocking or pointless harm that you experience aren't a sign that you are a worse sinner than others. But Jesus says, what is predictable is that all will perish. Now, how, when, or why we eventually die is largely unpredictable. I think Jesus is just sort of assuming that. But Jesus' main point as he responds to these questions is to emphasise this. The opportunity that's available to all of you is a limited opportunity. And so to take this opportunity to enter the kingdom is going to be achieved when you repent. Repentance of sin provides an opportunity to avoid eternal perishing. It's a limited opportunity because now, as we saw last week, is a time for decision. But when Jesus returns again and the final division takes place about those who have said yes to Jesus and Jesus says yes to them and those who have said no to Jesus have not responded in repentance, they will then have missed this limited opportunity that is now available. And so as Jesus tries to help these people make sense of these tragedies that have occurred, he's saying the real meaning to focus on is not to take comfort that they didn't happen to you, that not by your not being hurt that you're somehow being validated by God, but they are a reminder. Death is unpredictable. You are living in the time when you have a limited opportunity to avoid eternal perishing. And the way to take that opportunity, Jesus says, is to repent. Now we're going to unpack that a little bit more later. But I guess the fact that it's a limited opportunity, well, it doesn't really matter unless you think that it's an important opportunity. Now back in the day when I studied marketing and worked in sales, you know, advertising was all about making sure there's a clear call to action. If you want people to do something, then you better create some urgency around it. You better show them that it's important that they make a decision. And so, you know, when you, you see something online, it's like offer ends Sunday, limited stock, Black Friday only. There's a sense trying to create some urgency and importance so that you act. 
But we all know that we just keep scrolling. If we're not in the business for looking for a new computer or a new stove or a new car, then it doesn't matter that something's a great opportunity, a great offer. If it's not important to me anymore, then I just sort of move on. And I wonder whether that's actually how many people approach God, isn't it? I don't see the importance of what Jesus is asking me to do. But where's the upside with me sort of taking this opportunity that Jesus is providing? Isn't it true that many around us think that life seems better without God? Just living free and easy? Well, Jesus responds to those thoughts and questions, I think, by stating the importance of why we need to respond. You see, the, the, mo- the, the mode of accepting the opportunity is repentance. And Jesus is clear that all of you are perishing and there's a something after you perish rather than a nothing. We'll see it later in the chapter when we look at it in a couple of weeks. But it's not just that death is it. Jesus isn't just offering something for life now. The importance of taking the opportunity that Jesus provides has eternal ramifications. The division that will come at Jesus' return is a divide between those who will experience life and prosperity and relationship with God for eternity or those who will experience destruction and despair for eternity. So this is an important opportunity that is only available for a limited time. And so I think that's brought together with this parable of the fig tree in verses 6 to 9. The fig tree is symbolic of how important Israel is in God's heart. And uh, the guys in Kids Church, Alec will be able to tell you, you've been looking at the big poster this term, haven't you, on the wall? Been looking at the big plan about how God has been relating to his people over generations. That's really what the fig tree image is about, about how God has been pursuing his people, a people who he wants to cultivate, a people who he cherishes over time, a people who he desires would thrive. But as Jesus is here in the midst of his people, as he's heading towards Jerusalem, rather than seeing a people who are flourishing in response to God's love, He sees a people who are spiritually withered. They haven't produced anything. God's people have been fruitless. And so Jesus' message is that the opportunity that's available is not going to last forever. And so their barrenness is really shown by this incident in verses 10 to 17 of Jesus healing this woman. It's an amazing act. She's she's been crippled. For 18 years, and Jesus brings about a holistic restoration, physically straightening her, unbinding her from Satan's grip. This picture right before the synagogue rulers of restoration and relief, the very flourishing that God desires for his people, how are they going to respond? Well, they're indignant. They're dissatisfied that Jesus has used the Sabbath as a day to perform such work. But in doing so, this is the first healing that's happened in a fair while in Luke's Gospel. Jesus has just been talking for a few chapters before this. 
but we see that the response to Jesus' actions are still disordered. That the synagogue ruler has become lost in the letter of the law, become blind to the heart of it. They're so stuck in the specific orders that they'd created about what was acceptable on the Sabbath day, that when Jesus actually shows the fullness of what the Sabbath is, an opportunity to delight in the very works of God. That's what the Sabbath was always about. To delight in and marvel at our Creator and our Saviour as Jesus gives a great opportunity for worship. They respond with antagonism. And then Jesus, to sort of prove his point about how disordered they've become, he says, you actually treat your animals better than you treat humans. The very reversal of that whole created order, you know, Humanity made in God's image to to rule and order the rest of creation. The synagogue rulers, they've just lost the plot. And so what Jesus is offering here is this picture of freedom. This picture of restoration shows something of the hardness, the spiritual hardness that Jesus encounters. And we can relate to that spiritual hardness too, can't we? We can become a little bit set in our ways. It's easy to expect God to work according to our parameters, our plans, the things that we control. But the importance of what Jesus is offering stems from the reality of the situation that is before him. As Jesus dwells in this world, he realised that it is broken to its very core. I was chatting to a guy this week who works in sort of consulting and he was talking about this organisation that he'd been asked to do some consulting work on and he'd gathered all the information. He said, I've got to go and deliver the report. They're not going to like what it says. Because, you know, he sort of said, if it was a Daily Telegraph headline, it would be, you're screwed. And he's like... I feel like the bad guy, but basically all I've done is just accumulate all the, the data about what's happening in this organisation. I've just interviewed people in this organisation. But people don't like to hear the reality. And so as Jesus comes and embodies this kingdom that he's establishing, he sees the, the withered state that Israel and ultimately humanity are in. And so Jesus is offering something that is very important. This opportunity to avoid eternal perishing. And the only way to avoid this eternal perishing is to take the opportunity that is available. And again, the reminder is from these opening situations in verses 1 to 5, death is unpredictable. This world in all its aspects is withering away. Now, for some, there's an awareness, perhaps like this woman who'd been bent over and just crippled. There can be a real awareness about how broken this world is. But perhaps for many, perhaps people like us, we sort of think, this world's not too bad, is it? It's a little bit like someone who just sort of constantly lives on credit. Like they pay off their credit cards with another credit card and then pay off that credit card with another credit card. They, They sort of creating themselves a perception that everything's okay, but there's this mounting debt and debt and debt. They're actually not living 
with a true perspective of reality and what their means are. I wonder whether that's actually the experience for many in this world who don't see the need to take the opportunity that Jesus is offering. This life is full of many good things and we can easily delude ourselves that we are not really needing what Jesus is offering. But what we see here with the image of the fig tree is that God's patience will eventually end. We will all eventually be called to account. But the good news is that God at his core is patient. And so Jesus at that time is wanting to provide an opportunity, another opportunity for the religious leaders, for Israel's leadership to respond to God's work through him. But unfortunately here in the synagogue, that there's not a response that seems to be bearing fruit. And as Jesus' life continues, the opposition and antagonism towards him increases. But we see the heartbeat of a loving and patient God in Jesus himself on the cross as this opposition and resistance just continues to come against him as he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. It's really the heart of the vine dresser there, sort of saying to the owner, no, give it one more year. Let's, let's dig up the soil a bit more. Let's put some more fertiliser in. Let's see if there's an opportunity for this plant that is withered to bear fruit. And so whilst the opportunity is limited, the heart from God is that people would take the opportunity to enter and experience this reality, this kingdom that Jesus is establishing. And so then verses 18 to 21 gives us a a picture, some metaphors of what this kingdom is that we have the opportunity to enter is like. And it's a great image of a kingdom that has small beginnings, that has an expansive trajectory. A kingdom characterised by power and change. And so the opportunity is to enter this kingdom. A kingdom that has humble beginnings but a grand destiny. And so like a small seed that becomes a very large tree, that becomes a dwelling place for birds and wildlife, that is the outlook that is to be the reminder for those who have taken this opportunity, who have said yes to Jesus and what he's offered. And I don't know about you, but, you know, Jesus' words the other week of, look at the birds, do not be worried. Oh, I've been listening to the birds more recently. It's interesting, Australia has 10% of the world's bird life. And just sort of two doors down, there's this massive tree. And, you know, springtime's coming, so sort of little flowers are coming in the trees. And just the birds, so I'm just, just out the back just listening. There's these big trees that become habitats for birds. is just a really helpful reminder of the kingdom. That when you've taken the opportunity that Jesus provides, you will experience for eternity. A picture of a kingdom where you're cared for, you're protected, an eternal dwelling place. And so for us who have taken the opportunity that Jesus is offering, we 
have entered the kingdom that is secured through him, through repentance and faith, there's a reminder of what is secured in Christ. And so I think that helps us as we have different opportunities that are before us. There are things in this life that we will miss out on. It is not good for us to take every opportunity that is possible in our life. But that picture of a kingdom that God has established that we will experience is something that can give us reassurance. It can give us comfort. It can give us contentment. But eternity is a reality of being a citizen of this kingdom. And so again, as we just sort of think about what it means to enter the kingdom, to take the opportunity that is before us, it's this idea of repentance. Now, repentance is about acknowledging that we are people who are not worthy to be in God's presence. It's at some level to acknowledge to God that we are like that person with multiple credit cards that is living beyond our means. That we're sort of trying to function in this world above our pay grade. That we live lives as the masters of our own destiny rather than submitting to the ultimate giver and taker of life. You see, to enter the kingdom, to take the opportunity that Jesus is offering comes through repentance. It's this turning from self-rule towards a posture of surrender. It's, It's an acknowledgement that we are accountable to God for our actions. And it's a desire to reorient our focus rather than living for self to now live for God. And it's the pathway to complete restoration. As we turn to God, he's in the business of straightening us up like that bent over woman who is bound physically and spiritually. As we turn to God and acknowledge our need, he's in the business of restoring us. And having taken that opportunity, repentance isn't something that we just sort of then cast off, but it's sort of the new rhythm. I I got back on my bike after my surgery, rode over here on Friday, and uh, what's interesting about cycling is that, you know, you can be one leg dominant, but really the best form is when both legs are working at the same power output. And so repentance isn't something that we gets us into the kingdom that we let go of. Actually, the two pedals of the Christian life is repentance and faith. I like to think of it as repentance with a thorough and truthful acknowledgement of self and and faith being a a thorough and honest assessment of God. (laughs) Repentance means that I will own the specifics of my failings and, and faith means that I'll believe in the certainty of what God has accomplished and in who he is. And so for those who have taken this opportunity that Jesus has offered, for those who are seeking to live on this cadence of repentance and faith as we navigate life, what's our new outlook? 
Well, I think, you know, something there in verse 17 about how the people responded when they saw this woman transformed. The people were delighted with all the wonderful things that God was doing. The people were delighted. But what would it look like for us to to live with this posture of delight? As we don't just sort of grin and bear it and go, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to miss out on some opportunities that other people would have. That's okay. But rather we would just delight as we start to see evidences of God's work in our lives, in the lives of others, that we are reminded that this opportunity that we've taken is an opportunity that we didn't deserve. It's like when, if a friend's got some you know, exciting new startup and they sort of want to bring you in on it, just so you can be a part of it. Like, I didn't deserve that. That's cool. Or, or you find some amazing opportunity that's uh, a great saving on electricity costs or um, <clears throat> some great mobile plan or holiday destination where there's unlimited things and you share that with others. A delight to sort of see not just for you to experience the benefits of this kingdom that is going to last for eternity, but to see others also experience that. Friends, we live in a world where there's a whole range of opportunities. Let's hear Jesus' words about the importance of the opportunities available for all people. To enter a kingdom that lasts. For those who have taken that opportunity, let's live with a posture of delight. Knowing that it is worth it. God is transforming his people. God is establishing his kingdom for eternity. What amazing news that is. Let's pray. Father, you know the specific opportunities that might be weighing heavy on us. Things that we're unsure about what we should do. Things that we're perhaps concerned about missing out on. Father, we thank you for your patient and generous heart to provide the greatest opportunity for all to experience forgiveness and life with you eternally. Father, it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to become overwhelmed with what's going on in our particular life circumstance. But we thank you for this reminder of your kingdom that is so vast, that is growing in many ways that is unseen, that is establishing a trajectory eternally of a great 